Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my... I I don't even know if I can say as always anymore, because we've both had, like, absences um, in the last little while. Um, We we were, like, Iron Men, I would say, to start, like, the first four to five months of the season. Um, And then... We've we've had some scheduling issues as of late, so maybe I shouldn't say as always, but it feels like he's always here with me. Frank Madden, how are you? I'm good, Eric. And le- I mean, let's be honest. We talk about the Milwaukee Bucks every weekday for 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes 60 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, I, I think we I think we deserve an off day for some time. If LeBron can get an off day, sometimes you know DNP rest. Um, you know, I think I think we can get a DNP rest sometimes. So, <laughs> I, uh, I I I I hope I hope nobody feels shortchanged um, because ultimately, remember, um, you know, we're, we're our podcast is free. So, um, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, we're we're feeding the the growing desire for Milwaukee Bucks talk. Um, it's I think I think we had the 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 um, podcast after the game on Saturday. I think was our most downloaded podcast for anyone that didn't include like a special guest or anything like that. Like that, I think that was the most popular. Not, I mean, probably not surprising, right? Because it's the first playoff game we've done. Um, but, but great to see people downloading. And, and you know, we've got lots of other great podcasts on the the Locked On Network, including Locked On NBA with David Locke. And um, appreciate everybody listening and consistently supporting us. And um, we we do have a couple shout outs here. We we mentioned uh, in the last episode during our, our SeatGeek live read that um, we, we needed to give some shout-outs to people who uh, who used our SeatGeek promo code. That's L-O-Bucks, L-O-B-U-C-K-S. By the way, every time you say L-O-Bucks and I'm sitting there listening to you, I just want to like put on my Oliver Twist hat and be like, L-O-Bucks. <laughs> um, but uh, Ryan Maurer, uh, shout-out to Ryan. He's, uh, he's cashing in that SeatGeek promo code. Going on Saturday, he says hashtag Bucks and Six. Potentially, actually in play. Weird, weird enough to say. I'm it probably is. jinxing it. Um, and also uh, David uh, at Cato the Potato, uh, also getting the the Sea Geek shout out. Um, he says shout out Sea Geek, shout out Lockdown Bucks, shout out Giannis. You might as well still throw a shout out to Giannis in there. Um, always, uh, always worth a shout out. So, uh, so thanks to those guys for using that promo code and um, that that's a great way to uh, that's a great way to support our podcast because it's telling SeatGeek that um, that you listen and you uh, you you know actually uh, are, are taking our word for for this product that we're we're giving you some some good feedback on and and giving a good recommendation on and obviously we we believe it and heck it's uh, it's the playoffs and it's a great time to get twenty dollars off on on some tickets, and uh, ticket prices are actually probably going to be relatively high for a game for a change. So we we can't use our usual um, 
you know, I can't believe how cheap it is to go to a Bucks game line. <laughs> but um, I, I think the the atmosphere on Thursday will hopefully be electric. And um, we've got a number of different angles we can take today. But one thing, one thing I, I want to say, I kind of alluded to it yesterday, Eric. But I'm I'm fascinated by the the way each of these first three games I think tells us something different about the Bucks and the psychology and where this team is. And again, it's you know you can't take too much from a, a single game, but it's the playoffs, and we don't have a big sample size for playoffs. You have games. to. You literally have to. You have to. Um, and I think the first game I was impressed because they had you know, a few days off and this team has not been good when they've had time off. And it was, oh my God, it's the first playoff game of this iteration of the team. And you had, a, you know, a number of key players playing their first playoff game. You're starting two rookies. And obviously they responded brilliantly well and, and win the game. And then game two, you worry, okay, they're going to take the foot off the gas. You know, they're going to say, we got our split locked up. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it just seems like human nature that teams kind of lose something from from a, to, a great game one performance to, to game two especially on the road and um obviously they didn't win but i'd argue it was maybe as impressive in a, a performance sort of given the circumstances given that i thought the raptors played much better basketball and now they go home and and i feel like when you look at this bucks franchise hasn't the story of the last 10 years been when the bucks maybe have lowered expectations when you know I'm just thinking of all the seasons where they've surprised. The good seasons have always been surprises, right? Yeah. And and even this season, right? Losing Middleton, it's a young team. You think, you know, we certainly thought, okay, this this you know playoffs is a stretch. Um, and they play well to start the season. They have a funk. You count them out, and then they come back and finish the year, and they win all these games. And <laughs> you know, l- luck influenced or not, that here they are in the playoffs playing yeah. really well. And, Again, not expected to win this series, and now they're playing well. And when the Bucks have had expectations, they have not played well. And it's usually been the year after the uh, surprise season that they sink back down to earth and don't play well with expectation. And um, you know, and at a very micro level, you could argue that is what we're going to see on Thursday because all of a sudden, holy crap, Bucks have home court advantage in this series now. They're going to be playing before a raucous BC crowd. <laughs> They're going to be, you know, everything's kind of going, you know, seems to be teed up for them to to potentially really make some waves in the playoffs. Well, the last time we said that, they lost by, did they lose by 54 points to the Chicago Bulls the last time they had a home playoff game? Am I remembering oh, that correctly? Was it like yeah. 120 to 66 or something? I mean, it was literally the biggest ass kicking you could imagine. Like, Like, the most embarrassing performance you could imagine in terms of, you know, playing well and then having a home court game to force a game seven and literally laying down and just like crying. And and I do not expect to see that on Thursday, but show me something, Buck. Show me you can play with some pressure. Show me you can play from maybe not the front, but show me you can really live up to expectations rather than just sort of exceed low ones. That That is my challenge for the Bucks, especially since I'm going to be there on Saturday. I really don't want to make a trip to Milwaukee to see them lose in the playoffs. But I don't know. What do you think? Are you optimistic? What, what's your feeling going into this game? As I say, that last one was essentially the basketball game equivalent of what Giannis did to Mike Dunleavy, right? Like That was the type of beatdown that they got in that game, was the beatdown that he gave to Dunleavy. So um, going into this game, I don't know. It Like you said, it's kind of a weird spot because 
I think we we got through the first playoff game where pessimistic Bucks fan in you says, you know what, whatever. Like, I just hope Giannis has some good games. I just hope Giannis um, looks good in the playoffs. Uh, maybe some of the other guys look good. Maybe Brogdon looks good. And um, Thon has some moments. And you think, yeah, all right, if, if I can get some of those kind of moral victories – I, you know what? I I think I can I can kind of handle this playoffs. No no matter how it goes, even if they lose in five, um, I can at least handle it if they have some of those moments. And then in game one, Thon is out of his mind. Giannis is great. They actually win. And part of you again, I think you're still fighting against that pessimistic Bucks fan, someone who's watched them your whole lives. You think in game two, like. <laughs> We can't have nice things. So game one, they win, whatever. They're not going to be able to bring it in game two. And then they do. And now I think you'd be... I think it'd be really hard to talk yourself into believing that this shouldn't shouldn't be a series, that this shouldn't go seven games, that this shouldn't be hard-fought games back and forth, and even if it doesn't go seven, only goes six, that... This shouldn't be games where you see blowouts. You shouldn't. You shouldn't see the Bucks really take a beat down this one because in these two games they've proven that, in a way, that they belong. And it, like you said, it's it's kind of like it's just a it's just a strange spot to be in it as a Bucks fan. And I mean, I think we've kind of talked about this over the last two years that you and I have podcasted together. In the last three years that we've written things together, that. As you're as you're looking at this, this is kind of what it's like when you have a legitimate star. That uh, the Bucks have one of those guys, and you you kind of have to change your expectations and change how you view things, and just kind of change your view on the game of basketball, or or at least basketball fandom. That you have a guy that can kind of go out and and win series and do great things on his own. So going into this game. Uh, this is a strange word to to use with the Milwaukee Bucks, but I'm hopeful. I, I'm hopeful, and I believe that there is a chance that they can win this series, and that they can win Game Three. And if they win Game Three, then I'm thinking the same thing before Game Four. That you know what, they can win Game Four. And if they win Game Four, then okay, maybe they can win this series. And um, it it just kind of all rolls in that way. And I, I don't know. I assume you're probably in a similar spot, but it's just strange to kind of have these feelings. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, uh, I'm looking at 538's projection miles right now, they have the Bucks as a 40% likely to make it to the conference semis. In other words, 40% likely to win this series. So, um, not favored at this point, even though they do have home court advantage. The fact that the Raptors obviously were uh, a much better team during the regular season, you know, from a, a probabilistic model standpoint, will you know, understandably still make them the favorites. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, it, it's going to be really interesting. I think this this next game really does set the tone in the sense that obviously if the Bucks lose this game, uh, the home court advantage effectively shifts back to Toronto. And I think it, it also has the potential if the Raptors win to really kind of make the Raptors feel like, okay, yeah, we got this. We're back in control. Yep. Um, versus the last two games, you know, the Bucks handed it to the to the Raptors in Game One, 
And in game two, the Raptors needed the Bucks to miss wide open shots late in order to come away with this win. And they they had numerous occasions where they thought they had this game under control. And they obviously ultimately had a lot of difficulties closing out the Bucks. And it was really a a sigh of relief game, not a statement game, which I think, you know, a lot of people probably assumed going into that game, it would be a statement game for the Raptors and that they would, you know, get better performances from Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and, you know, probably from some other guys would maybe step up and, you know, maybe the Bucks um, don't get, you know, Giannis as many easy dunks in transition and, you know, all that happened. And yet, uh, they they did not you know coast by any stretch of the imagination and it's interesting I was looking at some of the stats um, for the series so far and um, you know the the Raptors in the regular season looking at synergy stats and by the way we we mentioned a uh, the tw- I retweeted uh, a, uh, the synergy uh, preview on NBA.com and I retweeted that from our friend Matt Curley yep who I didn't we didn't mention Matt by name but we should mention him by name because he's uh, a loyal listener, a great guy. I've met Matt a bunch of times um, at Vegas. Awesome dude from Wisconsin. I was going to say, uh, I also referenced it in my ESPN Milwaukee series preview piece as well um, with the picture of what I think you're about to talk about. And so it's interesting because in that preview, it talks about how the Raptors were not only the team that relied the most on pick and roll. Uh, and, and, and again, when we talk about synergy, um, they categorize plays. Basically, they call them plays. So it's not really a possession because um, a possession can have multiple plays. A play ends with either a shot, a turnover, or a foul. Um, and so again, you know, if a guy shoots and is off a rebound, you got multiple plays per possession. But the Raptors use more plays uh, on pick and rolls that ended with the ball handler either taking a shot turning it over or getting fouled than, than any other team in the league. And they had by far the most points off of those plays um, in the league this year. They were around 2,000 points. The next highest team was 1,800. Um, so, again, this is a team that's highly reliant on that. They were also tied for the most efficient team in the league on points per play. So this is a team that that lives off of you know the, the success they've had offensively, which they have had a lot, right? I think it's easy to lose sight of that with all the talk about the Raptors being stagnant and they have a really low assist rate and blah, blah, blah. You know, they... They've, it's worked for the most part. Like it's <laughs> yeah. worked really well in the regular season, and obviously people then kind of wonder, well, maybe it's it's not a, a playoff type formula, which is a little interesting to me because you don't know. Like you always think of like slow games that slow down. You know, if you can be good in pick and roll, like that's sort of a reliable way to get offense. Yeah. Um, so it is kind of interesting that 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 narrative has sort of raised questions about that. But um, but it's interesting through two games. Um, the Raptors uh, are, I believe, 11th in um, uh, points per play, 0.78 compared to 0.95 uh, in the regular season. That's points per play. So that's that's a big difference. That's from being you know the best in the league to being below average in terms of ball handlers ending pick and rolls. And obviously, a lot of that is is Lowry and and DeRozan. And again, it doesn't capture like when you know if Lowry drives in and, and kicks it out. It, so it doesn't capture those types of plays. And obviously, a lot of the, the value of a pick and roll play is if you can um, create gravity and, and kick it out for an open three, then that's also, you know, um, feeds into that. Um, so the, it's, it's interesting. And, and the wraps do have a 52 to 32 advantage on spot up points in the series. So that could be a lot of it, that kind of downstream effect of, of some of the pick and rolls. But interesting, again, that the Bucks and, and this has been a theme for the Bucks all year, obviously, is that they they do try to take away the effectiveness of that first action on the pick and roll. And we talk about that a lot. And the downside is, well, that leads to 
passes that lead to open shots and you know so we're we're probably seeing a bit of that as a microcosm in this series as well and and the fact that the raptors hit 14 out of 29 threes um in game two you know i think is is that that's sort of what happens with the bucks defense right it's it's um it, it can be sink or swim and i thought it was interesting um zach lowe um uh, and eric kareen on uh, the low post um well, I get, did it come out today? I, I I think it was. Yeah, I think it came yeah, out it today. Was, it was it was post game too. Yeah, um, Eric writes for the uh, the Athletic Toronto covers the the Raptors. Um, very sharp guy, and and it was interesting to hear that. It's really interesting to hear other people talk about the Bucks defense and Jason Kidd and all this stuff because like. I don't know. Like we're so deep in the bubble of of <laughs> yes, Bucks Twitter and everything that you know we have our own baggage and everybody who we interact with, you know, obviously has sort of like deep seated opinions. And, you know, at this point it's, it's kind of interesting. Cause I mean, they actually like dared to give Jason Kidd some credit for, um, the fact that like the bucks actually have been a pretty good team overall in terms of, you know, overcoming expectations for the most part. And obviously so far they, they have outplayed the Raptors, you know, arguably in both games, they, in many ways they were the, yeah. the more impressive team in both games. And, you know, I think, and, it, and it's kind of interesting, and I, I don't know if I've ever said it in these terms, but I mean, at this point, the problem with talking about kid in in terms of uh, like among Bucks fans is that it's kind of like politics where um, th- there's no middle ground, you know, and it's either like, you know, either, and, and again, I mean, not to say, I mean, I don't think there are many people who are love Jason Kidd, but there are a lot of people who, you know, say that Jason Kidd, you know, who, who you know, and again, I'm not sure if gun to their head they they believe this, but they'll say that Jason Kidd is the worst head coach in the NBA, you know. And again, yeah. it's like I, I think it's kind of one of these interesting things because on the one because I do think it's like politics in the sense that if you think your head coach is average and you're a team like the Bucks, which has big ambitions, average really isn't good enough, you know. Like yeah. like you should have greater ambitions for your head coach than average, right? I mean, Steve Von Horn used to always use the term blob like kid and and skiles and a lot of these guys they're just sort of in the blob of like yeah I, I don't know they some years their teams will probably be pretty good and they might stumble upon some things that work and you know but but there's probably not like any type of sustained thing that those coaches do and i think a lot of you know studies of of coaching effects suggests that you know coaching impact is generally pretty limited other than maybe like a few head coaches who are, you know, truly great coaches. Um, but it is interesting cause I think, I think a lot, I think in the, if I, from in talking to people, I think a lot of people who are really fervently anti kid, it's not that they necessarily think that Jason Kidd actually is like, you know, a seventh grade basketball coach level, uh, coach, even though that's how it's often seems to be portrayed, <laughs> but it's sort of like this view of like, well, I think he's like definitely below average or maybe even some of them think he's average and that's not good. You know, why would, why would you want to settle for that? So if you don't want to settle for that, then, you know, I think psychologically, I think a lot of people then look to pick him apart for everything because they want to change because they want a chance at getting a great coach. Right. And if you don't think kid can be a great coach and I think it's fair to, I don't, I, I think that's, I certainly, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons to think that Jason Kidd will never be an elite coach, right? I mean, For sure. I think there, there are more reasons that, that he wouldn't be than, than he will, especially given the lack of, you know, kind of like evolution in a lot of ways of, of sort of like the, the X's and O's of what the Bucks do. Um, 
and so why you know why would you why, why then go around sort of saying like yeah he's okay you know like you, you should be if if you believe that you know complaining has any has any role in in shaping public opinion then you should be making it out to him being the worst like a pop you know like if you're from one party you make the other parties seem like just the worst human beings in the world and they're all idiots mm-hmm. and everybody in power now is the worst ever um because that's how you sort of like campaign to to get something changed right so it's sort of it's such a weird that's not weird but but it is interesting right and i mean i guess um i I don't know i i bet that's my sort of step back from from the the jace the the politics of of jason kidd as buck's head coach but um but it is interesting i mean i don't expect i don't think there's anything that jason kidd could do that would change a lot of you know, I think a lot of the, the the you know a lot of the views of Kid are are so deeply ingrained, especially with the most vocal people. That um, you know, I mean, Jason Kidd could you know stumble ass backwards into an NBA title with Milwaukee, and there'd be <laughs> still people who you know would not want to give him any credit for anything. And again, I don't think Jason Kidd is a good enough coach to lead to lead. I don't know if anybody could lead this team you know to like the East Finals right now. But um, but it is it is interesting to sort of like hear you know certainly Zach Lowe, who obviously is very sharp and watches a lot of games and you know talks to people in the league and you know isn't just laser focused on one one coach's rotations like many of us are. Um, it is interesting to sort of um, to see like his view of things. Um, and, and I thought he kind of, he sort of laid out a lot of the, from at least my perception was he laid out a lot of the arguments that actually do, you know, that, that I think he summarized it pretty well as far as like what we hear, you know, in terms of the debate around kid and, and, you know, why people, why many people don't like him. And so Zach seems very aware of that probably because his mentions have been full of that uh, <laughs> of, uh, over the course of the season, but um, I don't know. Anyway, I just went went on a long rant, but um, I, and I think the one thing that that I think Eric Green mentioned was you know putting Thon Maker back in for for Monroe and the the effect that made. And again, I'm sure a lot of people say, well, that's obvious. You know, Maker should play more in fourth quarters. And you know, I've often joked that you know Jason Kidd doesn't realize Thon can play in even numbered quarters. Um, but I mean, I think you know again like objectively that was a big change um and and obviously there were were some major dividends that we saw in the fourth quarter and i think it'll be interesting to see if if that specifically is something we see more often um over the the next couple games but anyway i was gonna say just one thing with that too was like the obvious you kind of laid it out but the obvious retort is well yeah don should have been playing way more this entire year and there's plenty of bucks fans that would tell you that and I don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, and it's always the same thing when something good does happen or there is a good decision made. It's like, well, obviously. Like, yeah, we knew that. And it's like, well, I don't know if we knew that. Um, but, yeah, it's – I would say it it is ugly in a lot of ways. And I think politics is kind of a great way to – break it down and the discussion that we often have about them um is very much like that and and i think there's a lot of rhetoric used and um i don't know i think we've moved very far away from actually trying to figure out what's a a pro or a con or a good or a bad move and just kind of politicized everything that happens um in a game in a rotation um all that stuff. So I, I would agree with much of what you said. Um, getting back to this game, taking a look at it, um, I think one thing that was interesting in Zach and Eric's discussion was the fact that Eric mentioned, okay, well, in game two, 
You saw Patrick Patterson play almost 30 minutes. You saw P.J. Tucker play 28 minutes. You saw Damari Carroll's minutes shrink down. And I, I think these were all things that Mitchell and I had discussed the day that you were out where there were some things that we thought, you know what, like it would make a lot of sense for Patrick Patterson to come in because then that allows you to do some other things with Baca and Patterson might not be a bad guy to switch on to Giannis from time to time and uh, playing him with Tucker. And so like all those things kind of made sense. And part of me wonders, like a playoff series is about adjustments, but at some point you can only counter so many counters and then you kind of just know each other. And you're going to start going deeper and deeper into playbooks, but the Raptors are going to run pick and roll, and their two ball handlers and Lowry and DeRozan are going to try to score out of it quite a bit. Like those are things that we know are going to happen. And in the same way, the the Bucks are going to run their corner series. The Bucks are going to try to get Middleton and Giannis mismatches in the post and they're probably going to try to do a lot of big to little pick and roll to try to get Giannis and a, a point guard on him so they go, at some point I think we know all those things do you think we're to a point where I don't want to say all the adjustments are done but I almost feel like the major adjustments are done and now this is strictly who is better at the like who is better right now who is better over these next five games like I, I don't know if there's necessarily a huge adjustment to be made on either side at this point like i i think most of the cards are on the table and now it's just everyone playing to their fullest or the fullest of their abilities and trying to figure out who the better team is yeah i think it's kind of like the thing going into game two it's like well what what's the adjustment the rapture should should have made well how about kyle lowry making shots you know like that, that's not an adjustment that's it's just a thing that you know happened all season and didn't happen in game one and then it did happen uh thankfully for toronto's sake in uh, in game two so um so yeah i mean i think at a macro level um i you know, again, I, I don't know if if there are that many variants of these things. I mean, Giannis will be used many different ways, right? Um, Giannis will be defended by many different guys. And, you know, there there's no kind of one way. And I think the Bucks and, and to some extent the Raptors too, I mean, they have enough versatility that, um, you know, it's not like any one thing, I think, or, or any one matchup has to determine the, the fate of the series. I think... You know, the thing that probably if I was going to, you know, and again, I'll, I'll if I was going to look at kids rotation specifically and, and some of the matchups we've seen again, I think the the playing Delvadova and Brogdon together um, as much yep. as we've seen um, to me that that isn't a winning kind of combination, especially now that you have Chris and, you know, Giannis obviously on the court in crunch time. Um, I, I think you're just better off putting Tony Snell back out there. Um, Snell's been weirdly not uh played in fourth quarters despite the fact that he shot well overall and you know we were talking before the podcast it's been an interesting dynamic because the raptors have sort of bent over backwards to not have serge Ibaka check Giannis, even though they're nominally both the power forwards um at the start of games and you know to me i i just feel like you, you might as well just look for that matchup and then you know like having Ibaka try to you know play off of Tony Snell because Tony Snell doesn't, you know, attack much, but like he can knock down open threes and he's done that in this series. Um, so it just seems kind of weird that that would be the matchup. I would think you'd much rather have 
DeRozan only guarding Snell because there's not like that much to do. You know, like DeRozan doesn't have to, you know, defend a guy off the bounce much. I, I don't know. It just seems like weird that they've done all this, especially because it also creates more opportunities for kind of cross matches that create confusion in, in transition. And the Bucks have been by far the most productive team in transition, despite the fact that, you know, their pace, nominal pace has still been pretty slow. They've been really good at sort of selectively just breaking out and, and via synergy, um, scoring a bunch of points in transition and getting easy buckets that way, which, you know, changed a bit after Middleton came back. But, um, yeah, I mean, looking back at the backcourt, I mean, Delavadova and and Brogdon together um, were were not not particularly good this year. Um, and it was funny reading Charles Gardner, I think, had a piece on uh, I think it was Charles, not not Matt Velasquez, but I think it was Charles had a piece on, you know, Dally saying, like, oh, yeah, well, we're comfortable playing together and we've been we've been effective. And it's like uh, you're eight minus eight point four points per 100 together on the court. <laughs> so like. Brogdon, Dele. What are they in the playoffs, though? Um, I, I double check. In the regular season, they played 259 minutes. They had an offensive rating of 108.8, which is good. They had a defensive rating of 117.3. <laughs> um, and you know, maybe you can talk yourself into it when like it's Lowry and Corey Joseph or something because they're both you know point guards. But I, I don't know. I mean, again, and, and and I think both guys like in theory are like you know solid defenders, whatever. But I just feel like if you, especially if you've got DeRozan as as the two guard, I don't know. Don't you want Tony Snell out there? Like, it just seems kind of, just seems kind of weird that like you you strive to have that matchup in the first and third quarters, and then in the last quarter you go out of your way to put Delavadova on the court when you know he's been very bad late in games and you know, he's really actively taking the ball away from three much better, more effective players by running offense. Oh, I tweeted something about this today. Um, there was to start that fourth quarter, some, some brutal possessions from Delhi that ended in floaters and stuff like that. And my favorite, but as a, as we've kind of, we've talked about this before this season, stop giving him the ball. Yeah, like, like you're Chris Middleton. You don't need to give him the ball. You're Greg Monroe. You don't need to give him the ball in the elbow. Like you, you are in. You're at the elbow. You're in a spot that you like. Like make a play. And it it happened again in that game where there was a bunch of possessions that end with Delhi badness, and they were all situations where he got the ball with less than ten seconds left on the shot clock. Like don't give it to him. And I know, like, I'm sure coaches preach ball movement and making the right play, but if you don't want to see it, don't let it happen. That's always something that I've always kind of struggled with with this season. Like, there's certainly times where they actively work Giannis, Deli pick and roll, and, like, actively run something to get the ball in Deli's hands. And then there's actively times where Giannis does it all the time with Tony Snell. He's done it with Thon. He's done it with Delhi, where it's under ten seconds, and I don't. I don't know if he's not quite comfortable as a a late late shot clock chucker type yet. But he'll give them the ball, and it's the same. Chris will do it some, from time to time, and it's like, well, th- there's not many things that you can say at this point about Delhi, about him playing well, about, uh, I guess, strong characteristics. But that dude's not afraid to take a shot. 
Like he 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 has no fear of missing, of taking a bad shot, of affecting his percentages, of trying to make a play. Like that that dude is fearless in that regard. And obviously, it'd be much better if he wasn't fearless um, and he did have some fear and some idea, like idea of his limitations. But he doesn't. And well, and- I think he, I think he understands his limitations, but teams teams know that he he's limited and so they they present him with opportunities that you know are are difficult to pass up i would say you know it's he's not like jacking off the dribble contested yeah. you know demar derozan shots right but he's he, as you said he often does end up being the guy with the ball late in clock or or even early in clock and and teams concede that shot right i mean we talk about the Del Giannis pick and roll they got one to work um late in the game uh, on on uh tuesday but you know, largely this season, teams have basically just said, "You know what, Dell, you want that like eight foot floater? We'll live with it." <laughs> yeah, Go for ahead. sure. Um, I don't know. Like, it's just uh, it's just interesting to me that so much of that, so much of that blame gets placed on Delhi, and obviously he's an easy target at this point. Like, no one much likes watching him play. Like, I totally get it, but there's also a, a part of me that wonders, like, why aren't we more upset at any of the great creators on this team for not? holding on to the ball late in those possessions like uh, shit if if russell westbrook touches the ball with less than 15 seconds left on the shot clock he's not giving it up like it, same thing with harden like same thing with all these dudes and with the box it's like nah okay we'll give it up to delhi and we'll see what happens like you know what's gonna happen <laughs> um sorry that was a bit of a digression but i was just re-watching that that start of the fourth quarter and some of that fourth quarter and it was all I could think of, like, stop giving him the ball in that situation if you don't want him to try to make a play. Um, other stuff we were talking about. So you mentioned there that the Abaka matchup is strange to you, and and I totally agree with you. And we were talking about it a little bit, and I tweeted it when I was rewatching the game, but I, I really feel like the first quarter the Bucks should be bombing threes and again I'm fully aware that that is not something that they will do that has never been the Bucks style but it just seems like Abaka is always going to be by the rim and today I asked Jason Kidd about that a little bit and he said the key for them will be locating Abaka and knowing where he is at all times and maybe that that was a bit of a struggle that they had in game two that not being aware that he was going to be at the rim which if you're going to say we need to locate him better, that would make me think that, okay, if you're trying to locate him, that means how do we take advantage of the location that he's in? And to me, it just seems so obvious that just use a little backside screen. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be a hammer set, which I would love because I adore hammer sets. Like it just needs to be someone stepping in front of Serge Ibaka, screening him into the lane and then just kicking it out to Tony Snell and just let him bomb away from three. Um, Because at that point, then the Raptors have to make a decision. Because to this point, they have, uh, I don't want to, I guess probably disrespected. They've totally disrespected the Bucks from the three-point line. Uh, I I was talking with all the Bucks a little bit today, and uh, they had mentioned... That's that's Twitter user all the Bucks, not all the Bucks Bucks, players. Correct. Sorry. (laughs) At all the Bucks. Um, And we were talking about it, and the Raptors have given up 13 and a half wide open three pointers in this series per game. So 13 and a half per game wide open, not, not just open um, wide open looks. 
and that leads the playoffs thus far as far as defenses go and that totally matches my eye test like they seem to give no care at all to the bucks and what they are doing from the three-point line and and to me that feels like another maybe there isn't an adjustment there because the bucks just aren't a team that bombs away from three but that seems to me that's something you could do early in the game to make Giannis's life a whole lot easier because in that in that game too who knows if Ibaka can have that same rim protection performance but he's done it before in his career he's he's been a great rim protector before so it it would stand a reason that he could do it again but part of me just thinks man if you just make whoever his assignment is and maybe it'll be Thon on on Wednesday I, d- I doubt it because it's been Snell most of the time but whether it's Thon or Snell opposite corner opposite corner get Giannis into into the lane and wherever Ibaka is take advantage of that and just make him come out yeah and you have the personnel to to spread the floor with the starters right because you've got that's the whole idea of the starting lineup isn't it like that's why you played Giannis at the four yeah I mean Giannis uh you know the the interesting thing is you have Giannis um surrounded by guys who who can shoot threes and you know even even Thon at the five who you know I, I again I've been a bit disappointed that they've doesn't it seems like they've it's been kind of an afterthought to um to even try to um to even try to get uh y- you know Thon really open kind of pick and pop type jumpers um and that would be more against you know when Valanciunas is on the court since obviously his mobility you know he, he's not a guy who wants to cover out to the three point line but um but yeah it's interesting and by the way I was looking it up while we were discussing um Delhi Brogdon together on the court played 18 minutes together that's a lot in uh, in game one. They were plus seven together. Uh, they were minus three in game two in 12 minutes. So, you know, again, it hasn't really, hasn't been a big swing kind of either it's way. Not, I would it's say. not a death lineup. Yeah, I mean, they shot 36% with that group on the court in game one, 33% in game two. They've been brutal offensively, but they've also, like, the Raptors haven't done anything off defensively, which, again, is that because that, you know, I don't know if that, that duo is just so dynamic defensively. Because as we said during the regular season, they you know the Delhi Brogdon lineups utterly hemorrhaged points. So um, so yeah, it'll be I think interesting to watch. Um, one, one thing I'd say defensively, um, just before I forget, and I, I mentioned to you after we recorded yesterday, and I meant to bring it up was I thought in game two, Giannis. I mean, he didn't have a single block in the box score, but uh, his his challenges around the rim and in the paint. Um, you know, from from the early minutes, you know, he had a switch against Valanciunas early, kind of held up well enough to force a miss against Valanciunas in the post. And just in general was so often kind of like the Johnny on the spot or Yanni on the spot, I guess. And I didn't plan oh, that joke. But, God, um, don't but, lie. Don't lie. No, I honestly didn't. I honestly <laughs> didn't. Um, but, uh, but he, you know, just so often just seemed to pop up and use that length to, to challenge shots. And it's kind of funny because... I feel like every podcast now, I mean, so many podcasts now, the national podcast, like, you know, Zach Lowe's podcast, Dunk Don, um, the Twitter, the uh, Ringer NBA show, which I listen to a lot, um, CBS Sports Eye on Basketball with our friend Matt Moore. You know, so many people are obviously, I mean, they're talking about all the playoff series. So, oh, crap, the Bucks actually get talked about every, every game. <laughs> um, it like is the, a bit of an overload, if I, if I can yeah, be totally honest. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting because it's like so the Bucks are so like easily kind of caricatured It's just like, Oh, they're like long, they're length, uh, length. And, and, ah, they trap. You're so aggressive, you know? And I think on some level, I feel like it almost like 
absolves absolves us from like more rigorous sort of analysis of what they're doing uh maybe in some ways because yeah. you know Giannis is long and then Brogdon's really long for a point guard but you know is Middleton really long for a small forward at this point not really I guess Snell is is long for you know shooting guard relatively speaking um but they're not, you know, it's kind of weird, but it, but it's also then it's like, well, yeah, and then they can, you know, bring in a bench unit with Greg Monroe and Mirza Toledovic, who are, you know, <laughs> no one would describe as long athletic defenders, right? So it's, uh, it, it is sort of funny how, you know, I think, I think people often take, especially, you know, Giannis has kind of become this avatar for the Bucks in general, like as being sort of like, oh, the Bucks are so weird and long, oh, such as, you know, whatever. And I think there is something to it, like they, you know, they're not like a vanilla defense that that teams play against, and they do have, especially now with Thon playing real minutes, um, they have some some types of guys on the court, especially defensively, that you, that teams aren't necessarily used to having to play against, which is is to their advantage. But um, but it is kind of funny now, just sort of the 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 shorthand now being used for the Bucks um, because we're we, we're I mean I, I was asked Eric before the podcast I was like. Like when I think of trapping, you know, I'm I'm usually thinking of it as trapping, like, you know, you're 30 feet from the hoop and you're sending a clear double team to try to force, you know, a guy to pick up his dribble and 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 make a contested pass. And I mean, the Bucks have not forced many turnovers. Right. So to the extent that the Bucks defense is working, it's not because they're forcing turnovers. Um, and obviously you can question whether in the first game it was. You know how much of it was the Bucks defense versus how much of it was the Raptors? Maybe just sort of missing shots they normally make. Um, game two, I would say the Raptors actually probably made some shots that that they might, normally might not make, especially late in the game. But as you mentioned, they also missed some open shots too, even though they hit fourteen out of twenty nine from three. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. All all that's been kind of interesting. Um, and one other thing before, and I'm I'm jumping around, but one other thing we, we talked about adjustments. Uh, in that Journal Sentinel story, you know, there was a talk about the the shortened rotation, um, which, you know, is kind of true, but also kind of not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we're still seeing Spencer Hawes in second quarters. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how many guys. I asked about that today. Well, what so I saw I, it seemed like the, there was a comment. I think in the, the Journal Sentinel story, there was a an implication that Michael Beasley could play, you know, or will play at some point. Um and that would just make the most sense in the world to me because Toledovich hasn't played well in the first two games. And Jason Kidd always, you know, makes sure that, you know, sort of a guy like Beasley, who's been, you know, a, a good rotation player for them at various points, um, will see the light of day before the series is over. So that that's my that's my random prediction for game three is that Michael mm-hmm. Beasley will will show up in the first quarter and. I have no idea. Michael Beasley could be awesome. Michael Beasley could be, <laughs> you know, just sort of absent-minded and making questionable plays who knows right but um michael beasley might be my kind of random x-factor guy who literally hasn't played in the first two games basically other than garbage time um and i'm curious if if maybe he's a guy that we see early and and maybe make maybe make some impact in game three um i'll take you through a quick series of events for jason's uh availability today uh I think Charles, Matt, and I were all kind of salivating at the Tony Snell question. Um, That was all one that all three of us were very curious about. And I'll read the exact quote from Jason on this one. Um, But it was asked kind of why go with 
Dalian Brogdon instead of Snell, and he said, I think Dalian and Malcolm play well together. Unfortunately, it's just like the bigs. Someone has to sit. Tony hasn't done anything wrong. Tony's playing extremely well for us. It was a call I felt comfortable with. Again, looking at it, we got the looks that we wanted. They just didn't go down for us. We got the stops to get back in the game. You know, it, it could be Malcolm or it could be Delhi sitting and Tony in, but it's about the team. We've always said that. It's not built around one guy. Um, those guys were in. We got the looks that we wanted. They just didn't go down for us. So um, that obviously is just kind of punting on the question. Um, but still, like he addressed it and said that they like the look of, of Malcolm and Delhi, which isn't necessarily surprising. I know when we talked with Brett last week about what our rotation is going to look like when he, he said 15 minutes for Delhi, I was like, <laughs> no, uh, there's going to be way more. And yeah, we, we are seeing way more of Delhi. So then next I had asked about how is there a point where Thon and Greg are playing so well? like Delhi and Brogdon that Spencer, despite not doing anything wrong, gets squeezed out of the rotation. And Jason said Wait, so being being Spencer Haas doesn't qualify as doing something wrong. <laughs> you know, you you have to ask questions um in a political More tactfully than I would. Yes, yeah. correct. Um not Spencer Haas is not good. Why is he playing? That that one would, would not go over so well. Um and Jason that's, said see that's the kind of hard hitting journalism that that bucks twitter would uh would use though so <laughs> yes and their credential would be revoked the next day um so i asked that and to the same kind of effect he said well you know spencer has done some things for us but yeah thon and greg have played great and no one's guaranteed minutes and you know if guys are playing well and that means someone else gets bumped well that that can happen so that was a little bit optimistic to me that maybe that is something that they're thinking about and then charles followed that up well with what we haven't seen henson and we haven't seen beasley at all those are those are two guys that i guess you still kind of have in that you've used before and could use going forward and then that was when he said whatever the quote was that you had referenced that yeah maybe we will see some of Beasley and maybe we will see some of Henson but again it it was a whole lot of maybes but uh, I would say I don't think it's crazy to think that Beasley may grab Toledovich's minutes in this next game because I mean that was what 13 minutes of Toledovich so um, Beasley did play in the first game but it wasn't really remarkable minutes or anything like that. I think it was around four minutes in the second quarter. Um, so maybe he comes in for Tladovich in that first shift um, where they've been using him at, I think it's the end of the first quarter that they've been using Mirza, but around the three-minute mark. So maybe it is Beasley this time. And if Beasley does well in those first three minutes, maybe he gets the the second quarter shift as well and kind of gets those mirrors a minute so I, I don't think that one's crazy and I, I do think also that that is something that we could see in game three yeah and my my only hope is that if we see Beasley that that they bring him in for Giannis rather than playing him with Giannis um because I, I just feel like the, it, that combination just doesn't make as much sense right because like Beasley yep. you don't put Beasley on the court to just like stand in the corner and not touch the ball or or you know I mean he he doesn't know how to like spot up right like spotting up is catch it at the three-point arc pump fake take one dribble in and take you know a contested 19 footer which half the time he'll make for some reason because he's really talented um but it's not you know he's not a guy that really needs 
and, and again, this is sort of like a, a blessing and a curse. He doesn't really play off guys, right? Like he doesn't, he does, he just sort of can do what he does and it almost doesn't matter who he's playing with. So I, I feel like I'd rather have him on the court with, with Chris rather than Giannis just because when Giannis is on the court, I want him to be the focal point. I don't want him, Giannis, standing around watching Beasley kind of do work, even though, <laughs> again, Beasley is really talented and, yeah. he, and he can do that stuff. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see. And I think also, you know, I also view Beasley as kind of that like, you know, break in case of emergency type score where, uh, you know, we've seen it at various points. If the Bucks offense kind of, you know, begins to grind to a halt and things aren't working and guys are missing shots. Beasley's often been a guy that, you know, you can just sort of like, you know, dust off and he's got that kind of like <laughs> microwave, you know, oh, you need points. OK, well, and then he goes and like, you know, go, takes multiple guys off the dribble and finishes, you know, with these um, to, to kind of get the bucks a couple buckets. So that that'll be now, interesting. speaking of that, I had Beasley stands in my mentions today because obviously they're always there. Um, but they were saying like, oh, well, you know, the Bucks could use some some more offense in the half court. And I was like, their offensive rating is like 108 this series. Like, they're not they're not struggling offensively. Like, maybe there's been some stretches where, where they've struggled offensively, but they haven't really had offensive struggles. So, like, I, I don't know if there's anything that needs fixing, but yeah, he is that guy. Like, if if everything is going wrong and you just need buckets... That is Michael Beasley. Right. And and you're not going to, you know, when Chris Middleton struggles in game one, like you're not going to like go to Michael Beasley down the stretch and bench Chris Middleton. Like, no, that's just that that's not going to happen. Like, they're, you know, from a playmaking standpoint and a defensive standpoint, like Middleton just brings too much and he's, you know, your second best player. Like you're going to you're going to roll your roll the dice there. Um, but again, it's not to say that, that, you know, you can't play Beasley at all. It's just again, a bit harder. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, and, and again, the Raptors obviously have, have often played smaller or, or I think some of their best lineups obviously don't feature a traditional center, you know, idea of putting Tucker at the four, things like that. All those things sort of lend yourself. I mean, I think Beasley, I often think of him playing more as a three man in Milwaukee, but I mean, he's six, nine ish, six, 10, maybe on a, on a, on a good day. Yep. And he's, I mean, he's a good defensive rebounder for his stuff for, you know, for being a guy who's not a burly, you know, four man. Um, so I, again, like if Patrick Patterson is playing the four, um, other than, you know, just Beasley kind of not paying attention to him standing around the three point arc. I, I'm not really worried about physically. Can Michael Beasley hang with Patrick Patterson? It's not like he's going to go take him on the block. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think there's some interesting possibilities there and maybe that's, that's probably the most obvious wrinkle that we might see. Although, you know, I, again, if things aren't going well, you could also see John Henson pop in for those, those Spencer Hawes minutes, um, in the second quarter. And yeah. again, you know, I, you know, I, again, I, I would probably veer towards just playing Thon 20 to 25 minutes at this point, <laughs> uh, un- unless yeah. he's just like a disaster, right? I mean, some nights yeah. he might just, it might just not be working. Um, but I, I would probably just try to get all the minutes between him and 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 Monroe I mean Monroe can play 30 minutes you know Don can play 18 there you're done right <laughs> like you don't need another center um and I think especially with what we've seen from both of those guys we've seen that both of those guys can cause the the Raptors problems in different ways so so yeah I, I that that would be an adjustment I would like to see but again I think it's far more likely that we'll see a third center in in some form or another uh forward but uh but I don't know. One thing that is kind of curious about this series is that 
Monroe matches up really well against Valanchunas, and not that Thon has been killed by Valanchunas. That's not what I'm trying to say at all, but those two match up well together, and I, I think to start that fourth quarter, you saw that Monroe doesn't match up particularly well with Ibaka. Like, he can stretch the floor, and he can make it difficult on Greg. Like, the, the closeouts are a little bit late, and he's not getting to where he needs to be quite as fast as he needs to against Ibaka, and that's a more natural spot for Thon. Like, Thon makes more sense against Ibaka. Um, but Ibaka starts, and then Thon does start, but then kind of plays very different minutes than him. And I don't know, it'll, it'll just be fascinating to see which way Jason decides to go in the fourth quarter. Um, if it's going to be Thon, if it's going to be Greg, and um, if Abaka is cooking like he was from the three-point line, because, um, I mean, he was he was great in that, in that, I mean, really that whole game, but that second half especially, a couple threes, and I think he had six assists in the second half, and he was just a problem for the Bucks because he's so mobile and he's so just skilled for a big man. So um, I think that'll be one other thing that's interesting, but I think that's about it. We just bounced around like crazy tonight and i think that's kind of necessary um just because i don't know if there's anything cohesive i'm feeling about this game like i I don't i didn't think there was like a major topic we needed to tackle tonight i just think once you get to this spot in the playoffs there's just things flying around the periphery and you just need to grab them and and try to talk about them i don't know am i crazy in that just win (laughs) at this point um you know i'm to expect the Bucks to come out with three straight good performances in the playoffs against a good team, um, it, you know, it's almost like, man, are we are we really asking for too much? But um, I think this game is so important because again, the Bucks have put themselves in a position where y- you look at it and and you'd say they they absolutely have a chance to win the series, and it may not. Again, I don't think they're favorites, um, but you know, if if they're going to have a chance, I think it has to continue with with uh, a win on on Thursday. And, and again, I almost said a good performance, but as we've said yesterday, good performances are, are only good if they end up in wins. And again, and not to say that there aren't sort of, um, important things we can take from a game like Tuesdays where they played well. And I think it speaks to the fact that they're going to be able to hang in this series, but you know, the only statements at this point from here on out, I think are wins and, um, I, I just hope that they come out and, and don't, I just hope they don't, they come out and they don't play, you know, with sort of a tightness, you know, they don't, they don't let the fact that there maybe is now some pressure on them, um, sort of diminish what, what they're capable of. I, I want to see the same team that we saw the last two games. That That's really all I want out of this game. And, um, I think if that happens, they have a great chance to win. I think 538 has them as a 55% favorite to win. They were a 30% uh, likely to win in Toronto last game. So um, again, home court's big, and uh, you hope that uh, that big crowd with hopefully a number of our re- our listeners uh, using that SeatGeek promo code um, that, that that'll help propel them to uh, hopefully a big win. At this point, moral victories don't matter, and part of me thought that's crazy because I think once we get to May in June there there very well could be playoff moral victories that do matter that seeing Thon play well will matter that seeing Giannis get this playoff experience seeing Middleton do different things seeing Brogdon like I think there will be moral victories 
down the road, but as far as we're concerned, in April, in the next two weeks, there are not moral victories at this point. Like they are just wins and losses, and we'll see if the Bucks can get one in Game Three. Um, that's going to be it for us for today on Locked On Bucks for Frank Madden. This has been Eric Name. We'll talk to you after the game. Fall has arrived at JCPenney, the perfect time to refresh your home. From now until Sunday, get up to 50% off select comforter sets, furniture, and the most comfortable mattresses from top brands like Tempur-Pedic, Sealy, Beautyrest, and more. And save 50 to 60% on select sheet sets, plus an extra 15% with your coupon on select home items. Hurry and soon. That's getting your pennies worth. JCPenney. Coupon valid 928-109 on select home items, furniture, and mattresses. Prices valid 928-101. Selections vary by store while supplies last. Savings on regular and original prices. Intermediate markdowns may have been taken. Some exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details.